Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 25 of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Vivian King. Uh, Vivian is currently the CEO and Managing Director of Box Hill Institute. Prior to her current position, Vivian worked in North America and held the role of President British Columbia Rapid Transit Company, which operated and maintained the SkyTrain and West Coast Express Transit systems in Vancouver, moving over 350 million passengers annually. Before North America, Vivian held the position of CEO for KDR Gold Coast, the operator and maintainer of the Gold Coast light rail, and prior to that, the position of Group General Manager, Strategic and Service Development for Railcorp which provided metropolitan passenger rail services in Sydney. In that role, Vivian was responsible for its investment strategy, future design of rail networks, and $1.2 billion capital works program. And while working with Railcorp, Vivian also held the role of chief operations officer, leading 15 departments with over 8,000 staff to deliver the day-to-day passenger services. Vivian has a strong interest in public policy and education and transit, and has sat on many boards, including the International Passenger Transport Association, UITP, holding the Australian and New Zealand Chair for Public Transport, Australia's Transit Committee for Light Rail, and held a seat at the table for the Queensland chapter of the Committee for Economic Development Australia. Recently, Vivian sat on the International Student Advisory Committee for Victoria, and currently sits on the Lilydale Precinct Activation Board. In her spare time, Vivian enjoys training for triathlons, and half marathons. Well, I'm really looking forward to this conversation and I'm so excited to have you on the, on the podcast. Welcome Vivian. Well, thank you, Jono. I'm really pleased to be here and wow, what an introduction. My assistant must have given you that. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's always good. I always love chatting to leaders who go, yeah, that's right. There was something in there I'd, uh, I'd forgotten about because, you know, I just, I I do, (laughs) I get the bio sent through and then I love to, to read it in full. And, um, Mm. on that note, tell us, tell us about, um, the Box Hill Institute. One thing I didn't mention there is where you're based as well. Um, so whereabouts are you at leading now, at leading okay. the Box Hill Institute? And what, is it, what does it mean, you know, day to day for listeners uh, to be the CEO and managing director of the Box Hill Institute? Okay. Well, we're, we're located in uh, Melbourne, Victoria. So be- beautiful, beautiful state. Uh, and what, what does it mean to be CEO of Box Hill Institute? Well, it, it is an education institution. It's mm. one of 13 uh, TAFEs, which uh, really specialises in vocational training. And uh, we have three business arms, which is what really excites me about the Box Hill Institute uh, vision, is that we have that sort of public provision. And often people think about TAFEs as, you know, plumbers and trades and what have you. Um, now, that is very honourable. And I'll tell you what, if you go and look in the um, car park, the people with the big expensive cars and, and the tools are going to be our tradespersons. So yeah. it's a really great uh, 
a, a sort of vocation to go after. But we do everything from, you know, veterinary sciences, nursing, cybersecurity, uh, horticulture. We have a technical school. We, you know, we do um, hospitality, hairdressing, beauty. I mean, you, you name a vocation that needs hands-on practical experience and we probably train and teach in it. Um, so that, that's sort of the core of our business. And, you know, of course, our, our key client is, is the government and industry that tell us where those, those skill shortages are. We also have an international arm, which is really exciting. And, uh, you know, we run a, 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 a all-women's um, or girls' school in Kuwait, uh, yep. which we're very proud of because we help women get an education in, in that uh, country. Uh, we have long-standing arrangements with a school in uh, um, Vietnam, which is called Koto, No One Teach One, amazing. And one day we might get a chance to talk a bit more about that. Uh, but we also have a commercial arm uh, because, you know, public policy and public provision is all about taxpayers' money. And we need to earn more money commercially to be able to feed it back into the system. Yes. And so as a CEO, coming back to your original question, is this is a magnificent brief because I get to do commercial. I get to do international, which I've so enjoyed. Um, you would have seen my, from my bio, but mm. also that purpose-driven organisation. You know, gaining, giving people skills and helping them get jobs. There's nothing more fulfilling. I've got to say. Yeah, it's it's incredible, and I would agree. I think it's it's such an important part of the economy, and it's such mm -hmm. an important part of. Uh, I think it's a really easy way to see meaning in in the everyday when you're leading an organisation like that. It must be when you have stories of people who um, who, who wanted to make a, a transformation, wanted to wanted to to really take a chance in, in life and move left or right or or take you know shift and actually be able to do that through what you do. I can see that that would be very fulfilling. It is. It definitely is. And, and that purpose-driven keeps you going and uh, linking government funds with expertise of the teachers, which are all industry trained and, and experienced. And then you see graduation is the most amazing feeling when, when mm. you see those young people, as well as mature people, um, you know, getting that certificate or that diploma or even that degree, because we do higher education, yeah. um, you know, you sort of think back and you go, hmm, now I know why I had that hard board meeting or now I know why I, I really pushed to get that funding. So, uh, yes, it does come together through, through people's success. <laughs> I always say to people that um, my, friends, my friends and I, we have very robust discussions about TV shows on something like Netflix, which is so unimportant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I always say, if we're having robust discussions about what we're watching on Netflix... Don't you think board meetings and executive team meetings and generally meetings in organizations where we're dealing with uh, often with people's futures and, and, and really investing in their lives, shouldn't they be? Uh, so, so I love what you said there. Yeah, that's right. You look at the hard meetings and the hard times mm -hmm. and the hard decisions and you go, that's worth it when you, when you get to a graduation night. Um, I can imagine that would be very significant. That's right, Jono. Absolutely. Well, I would love to now find out a bit more about Vivian's story <laughs> for listeners. Yes. I love to ask this question uh, because it gives, it, it always brings such interesting insights. So particularly interested in the specific moments along the way, and you can feel free to go back as far as you want, you know, in terms of, uh, <laughs> in terms of even, even childhood, um, you mm. know, share as much as you want. What, mm. what are some of the specific moments along the way that really shaped 
Vivian King becoming the leader that you are today? Mm. Oh, that's a really great question. And, oh, geez, I've got to be careful here. Um, look, you know what? I don't know if every CEO thinks about it as they get, you know, closer to their third chapter of life. But, you know, will I write a book? And I thought, <laughs> hmm, what would I call my book? And uh, in the industries that I've worked in and the experiences that I've had, I think I might call it something like... Um, overnight success that took 30 years <laughs> <laughs> i like that because uh, you know people often will say oh my gosh you know you've achieved so much and and yes i have and i'm really proud of my achievements mm. certainly hasn't been done on my own and uh you know there's been people along the way but yes that sort of oh wow you've been an overnight success mm, yes it's <laughs> taken me 30 years to do that so that's an interesting one and i think most people's success are you know at my time of life have been built over enormous amounts of um, experience, falling over, you know, getting bruised, uh, having a few scars that uh, still remain. Mm, yeah. So I think, um, how far will I go back? I, look, <laughs> where did I start my career? I, I suppose it's in my very first job. I yeah. um, come from a very humble background. Uh, both my, my parents are, um, were uh, pensioners, uh, didn't have a, you know, like a professional career. Mm. I was uh, adopted. So, um, you know, I don't know what goes back be beyond that. Wow. But I thought I would apply to be a public servant. Right? Mm. And I was able in, in the days of sitting for public service exams and you set your exam and then they sent you a letter to say, hey, you passed your exam. And these are the areas that we have jobs in. Uh, please pick one. And you'd start at the very bottom and yep. off you go. So, of course, <laughs> I picked the tax office because I decided I wanted to be an accountant. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't I wrong <laughs> um, and you know they gave me great big files and I had to go through a lot of detail and they they said to me look we'll sponsor you to go through uni once you do two or three years of, of going through this and honestly I thought I can't do this I just cannot do it I've never been a numbers person these days I hire fantastic CFOs that are strategic oh. and give me guidance um, and I've learned to uh, answer the right or ask the right questions mm. um, my next job was actually in health and it was a really interesting one because I ended up being a clerk supporting a um, disability and OC health and safety unit of a hospital yes. uh, in New South Wales. And I learned so much. I really did. I learned about people. Um, I think those are the days where I found out what the word empathy means. Uh, mm. Not sure if I had a lot of it at the time, but I learned <laughs> what it was about. And to see people that were worse off than me and that, you know, had the most amazing attitudes in life. And when you talk about the occupational therapists and the nurses, um, to see what they do every day mm. was, you know, that purpose-driven seed, I think, got planted while I was doing that job. Wow. But as I, um, you know, sort of continued, I, I had a natural ambition. And so that ambition, um, I went off to one of, the, I think they were called chief clerks at the time of the hospital. And I said, look, I'd really like a management job. Mm. And I, I think, I think he actually laughed at me, but he hit it really well. Okay. Nice guy. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But he explained to me that, you know, I had no formal qualification. I'd actually left school at uh, the age of 15. Wow. Um, and I had my first son at the age of uh, 17 and a bit. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, the rest is sort of history. I won't go into that. But, but of course, I didn't have that formal education. Yeah. And so, you know, I decided that I would look at a job that would give me the most exposure to management areas that I could yeah. possibly get. And that ended up being a relief secretary. And so I got to relieve the secretaries of the CEO, the general managers, the head of procurement, uh, the stores and, you know, all those areas. Yeah. And I eventually was able to get a job as the assistant purchasing officer because I'd actually exposed myself to so much skill and, and knowledge that I was able to get into that really low level management role because I could, I, I could talk the language. I understood the processes. So that was a yeah. lesson that's carried me through, you know, my life. Um, and so, you know, did, did health for uh, quite some time, um, was actually headhunted for the very first time. Yes. And, uh, you know, undersold myself desperately. And I learned a great lesson there was, you know, always find out what's on the table. You know, ask the yes. right questions because I left thousands of dollars on the table. Um, yeah. They didn't tell me that until about 12 months later. But anyway, that was a good lesson. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. And so, yeah, that put me into change management because I was a woman in very male-dominated areas. So if you think yeah. about stores and purchasing at that time, you know, I'm, I'm talking sort of late 70s. Mm. Uh, and that was, you know, a, a tough gig because mm. I was the, the young woman. Um, with no formal experience and no degrees under my belt. Yeah. But I learned a lot and I learned about people and I learned about working with them. And I was doing human-centred design assessment for change before it was even called that, Jono. Uh, <laughs> so, so that was great. Got headhunted. Um, and then I saw a job for a clerk within education. And it, it was the Hawkesbury College uh, Agricultural College and it was prior to New South Wales going into federated universities. Yes. Uh, and I end up being part of the change management team there because of my knowledge base. And again, not senior, just sitting right in the middle of the team, learning huge amounts with, um, you know, what education was about at the time and, you know, processes, uh, policies and amalgamation. And I saw mm. the first experience of what, downsizing and amalgamation and restructuring does to people. Mm. And, and I've carried that for, for many, many years as I've moved forward in the sense of, yes, we have to make hard decisions. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it at times and it breaks your heart, but to actually see what it does in the mechanisms right in the middle of the machine that people forget is run by people yeah. um, has been just amazing. Um, again, another lesson learnt there was uh, through that restructuring, they created uh, executive offices to support the academics. And I didn't apply for any of the jobs because I assumed that every one of them had uh, been taken. And I remember getting a phone call from a very senior person saying, Vivian, I've been going through the um, applications. They close on Monday and I can't see your name. <laughs> and, and I went, oh, okay, well, I, I should throw my my um, application in and the amazing thing was that uh, I had my choice of which faculty I would go with because you know again by that experience getting in you know into the deep end learning I was able to present the knowledge that maybe some people couldn't have and mm. so that that was fantastic 
how did I get into transport? I'll fast forward a little bit here because uh, <laughs> the, you know there's a lot to, to talk about. Um, the uh, Sydney trains was going through a, a major change. Uh, I think it was called State Rail at the time, and it had an education college. Uh, I applied for a job there uh, to head up their training division, and yep. uh, that was all the operational area. And, oh, God, I tell you what, if I had realised what I was getting myself into, I think I would have run a 1,000 miles the other way. <laughs> um, but, again, um, this has sort of been a real theme of, of my knowledge base. Mm. Uh, I came with enormous amounts of experience in education, how to um, improve quality, looking at uh, registration of certain courses, um, actually partnering with TAFEs. Um, I can't believe that, you know, that was so many years ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and yes, won the job, learned a great deal. And then, and this is the turning point, this is what got me into pure operations, was that Sydney won the Olympic bid. And uh, I was part of the, uh, you know, training and design. And I remember the chief operating officer saying to me, so, so what do you actually do? Um, do you know anything about strategy and project management? And I said, well, yeah, I, you know, I develop courses and, you know, I have people deliver. And he said, good, come over to operations and help me with these. Um, I'm not sure if I can use this term, so you might have to edit it out. These railway rednecks, they're good at their job, but they don't know a thing <laughs> about project management or, or strategy. Yes. Um, I think that might have been a touch harsh. However, yeah. it was true in those days. You know, people yeah. grew up through the, the network. They, they um, what's the saying we use today? Uh, we used to have a career for life and now we have a life of careers. Um, mm. And that's so true. So yeah. true. Um, so look, to fast forward, I end up getting an operational job. I was one of the first, well, I was actually the first woman to hold an operational role within that railway in New South Wales. Wow. Um, that led me to all sorts of opportunities and, um, and, and took me overseas and uh, end up doing, you know, uh, inaugural light rail here in Australia, went over to do some bid work in uh, North America, which gave me some incredible experience. From that, uh, I won the role of the head of the railways in British Columbia. And then three years ago, a little bit more than three years ago, I got a phone call here in Australia asking me whether I would be um, open to an opportunity. Mm. And I had still had family here um, and uh, they were able to entice me to talk to them. And the rest is history. And here I am as the CEO of uh, Box Hill Institute. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story. I think I uh, appreciate your vulnerability in, in sharing about a, a bunch of things there. And um, one thing that stood out for me, and I'm sure it's, it'll be the same for listeners, is I can see from your story why you would be so passionate in doing the role that you're doing now, because mm. I love your journey, which is, uh, which I, I guess there's so many parts of it I want to ask about because it's, um, <laughs> it's unique. Would. I think one thing that I really do want to ask about is, is around women in leadership and yes, yeah. you have, you stepped into a role. I, that, that's incredible that you were the first, did you say you were the first woman in, in management and operations? Or in, just in, in operations. In yes. operations. Yeah. Oh, that's Correct. incredible. Mm. So I think, um, how can I, how can I put this? I think for, uh, for women who are listening mm. and who are deeply passionate and you know what? And, and um, for anyone who's listening, who's deeply passionate mm -hmm. about investing in, uh, you know, seeing women raised up in leadership and, and seeing 
what what would your advice be about based on what you've seen over over your journey about how to i guess how to um how to really lead well in that space in a helpful yeah. way and to actually mm-hmm. help us even take it further in terms of um uh, the the area of women in leadership, which is pretty broad, but I hope that's yeah. okay as a question for you to oh, jump into. It, yes, it's it's very topical at the moment, and it's a bit of a doozy. I, I feel like every time I I talk about women in leadership and diversity and accessibility, um, I, I'm walking through a minefield of a <laughs> hundred years of culture. <laughs> yeah. Um, but any any leader has to take risks. Um, so, you know, if I can answer the question a couple of ways, one is you have to invest in yourself. Um, mm. no, you know, I, I think I'd, I'm going to be a bit, bit sort of controversial, okay? Yeah. No yeah, one's going to invest in you if you don't invest in yourself. Uh, and and mm-hmm. today we have, you know, there are there are groups of people that go. Um, I remember we had a leadership, uh, you know, um, development program, and I won't say where because I don't want to point fingers. Yeah. Um, and it was the most amazing program for for you know young and mature people, and they were our leaders of tomorrow, as we called them. So you know, stars within an organisation, and we mm. put them through a two year intensive program, which we aligned them to executives. And so they did real projects. Uh, they had to be doing their masters. So we, we sponsored. So really big investment. Mm. And this two years had finished. And I had one of these young people come to me and they were in their sort of mid twenties, really oh, quite capable and lots of potential. And they said, well, I've done the two year course now. Um, you know, when am I going to get a GM job? And I sort of, I must admit, it's the first time I'd I'd been in that situation. So, you know, I've learned to reflect. I'm not as quick in in answering anymore. And that's one of my lessons. Uh, So I reflected and I said, well, that's interesting. I said, because I think on paper, you could do this job. You could do Mm. it tomorrow. So how would you, though, manage the 62-year-old that comes to you and says, well, what do you bring into the table? I've been here 40 years and, and I'm, I'm not going to say it out loud, but I'm actually not going to respect you right off the bat. You're going to have to earn it. And it was really interesting because they gave me a very theoretical response. And I said, you know what? Life experience and a few bruises uh, because things are not always going to be rosy for you is what's going to give you that ability, that life experience that balances all that knowledge that you have. Yeah. So my first um, sort of response to anyone wanting to get into leadership, whether they're women or men, mm. is that you have to take risks. You have to understand what you bring to the table. Don't underestimate it. But you know what? Ask a few people and get some realistic view of what you do bring to the table. So mm. I think that's one of the things that I've tried to do um, because if I think about myself at 36, and I use this quite a lot, Jono, yeah. The 36-year-old in me would take on every single risk, everything I was asked to do without thinking about the implications. Mm. And some of my really, really um, incredible learnings have come through me doing that. And, and I've, I've got a story to tell, and it is about being a female in a male um, environment because railways were you know, <laughs> very male environment uh, at the time. And so... Um, as I said, I was the first um, you know, female operator in, in this particular railway and it was heading up 
the timetable division. So everyone that knows me will work this all out. So that's okay. There's nothing that I'm going to say that, that's terrible. <laughs> um, and I had a chief operating officer at the time that uh, really took a risk on me. You know, it was, mm. it was, you know, he knew I was capable, but he was just wondering how 105, I think, men at the time would actually relate to a female in the head of department. Yeah. Um, and so he said to me, Vivian, you know, the minister has asked for a timetable change. Can you go and talk to your timetablers and see whether they can do it? So he gave me all the criteria and off I went, you know, very proud that my chief operating officer had asked me to do this. Down I went into the bowels of this building because, of course, you put all these people that are back room, very talented, but you put them in the back room, okay, because they're, they're very, um, uh, you know, sort of detail-driven and, and mm-hmm. very well together. So down I go and I ask this question and the guy goes, yeah, of course I can. I said, really? So you can make those changes? Absolutely. Well, wasn't I chuffed because I was keen to impress and keen to deliver. <laughs> and I felt the pressure. I actually felt like I was representing every other woman in the organisation. Not that they yeah. told me that, but it's mm. that personal, you know, oh, God, I've got to be really good at this or I'm going to drag us all down. So off sure. I go to the chief operating officer and I say to him, oh, yep, can be done, blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, okay. He said, now, are you sure that they're going to protect the, the foundation of the timetable? And did you ask them how they're going to do it? And I thought, oh, okay, no, no, I hadn't thought about that. All right, so off I go again and I speak to the same person. <laughs> oh, my gosh, he was going to rip that timetable apart. He was <laughs> going to create all sorts of problems in other areas. Yeah. But he was going to do what I asked him to do. And so there were a couple of things that I've carried with myself. Um, and, again, gender issue I think is not necessarily a gender issue. It's a leadership issue. Sure. Learn yeah. to ask the right questions. And you sometimes get that from knowledge. You sometimes get it from experience. And at other times you get it from listening to others. Mm. And so that ability to be able to say, hey, mate, you know, sit down, work through, what does it take? And, and one of the things that I've carried for a very long time is what risk are we creating? Because you know what? When things are different, you have different risks. Have you had Mm. them before? Can you mitigate them? And so in looking at all of that, um, you know, I I had to be so careful as a female, but I also had to be careful not to worry too much about being a female. I had to worry about doing a great job and doing Mm. it really well. So, you know, for all those women that are out there, I'm not undermining the struggle that anyone is having. What I'm saying is if we can try and lift ourselves um, out of the gender question for a little bit, look at what skills we have, what we're using, put ourselves back into that gender area because you know what? Be proud of it because we Mm. bring so much to that table. Yeah, I, I love that answer. I think, and I think it's, I think there's some great principles there around, investing in yourself and Mm, I think mm. one of the things I love most about your story is how you stepped into different arenas even when it Mm. seems like you weren't quite sure of the depth you were stepping into until afterwards but you definitely (laughs) reflect that that you may not have had the opportunities you had or learned Mm. what you what you learned which has now led to uh, you know you being the leader you are today if you hadn't stepped Mm. into those 
I think that's that's something I'd love to ask about is mm-hmm. what advice would you give to leaders about how to I guess how to look for and how to filter what sort of risks or what sort of places to step into. Is there anything like yeah. in 2021 where you'd say, mm-hmm. you know what, if you're, if you're a leader, mm-hmm. a great thing to do might be to, from your experience, I don't know whether it would be uh, moving cities or moving countries or like it can be specific <laughs> like that, or it can be more yeah. of a philosophy. Okay. Um, look, there's a couple of things. Um, what I didn't mention is that, I've had to step backwards sometimes, not necessarily career-wise, but the amount of time I've had to invest in myself. Mm. Um, Even though I started off without formal qualifications and I really threw myself into areas that I had no real knowledge about other than watching others, I did go back to uni and, you know, I'm very proud to say I have multiple degrees right up to master's level. Now, I did that within areas that I felt I needed to know more. Hmm. And, and so, you know, I've got a graduate uh, diploma in postgraduate diploma in industrial relations and public policy yes. because I was getting more and more into government. And even though I worked with people that could share their knowledge and experience, I sort of didn't have that, that sort of, um, what do I say, the, the foundation, the, the, if you think of your life as a, a um, a blanket that's been woven over many mm. years, there were strands that were missing for me. And mm. so I went back and I did that. Um, and, and so, you know, anyone could look up me, me up on LinkedIn and they'll see the degrees that I have. But I think that isn't one thing. Don't be afraid to go back and fill in some of that um, weaving in your blanket. So that, that's important. Um, you don't always have to go and get the highest, the biggest, the most expensive either. Look at ways to gather that information and look, you know, things have changed. I, I, I'm going to sound very old here. Didn't have YouTube that I could just log on and do a, <laughs> you know, a four-hour course and go, yeah, that's enough. I'll be able to do that. I think one yes. of the risks uh, that I took constantly, um, and look, I don't know if people picked it up or not, I was sometimes only two steps ahead of my bosses or two steps ahead of my employees. So I would be reading, I would be exploring, I would be looking at different models and then coming back and having the confidence um, or the ball (laughs) to, to, (laughs) you know, look like I knew it all. (laughs) And I certainly didn't, I can assure you. I think we call that confidence these days. Yeah. Um, But always making sure I had that foundation. I think the other thing too is understanding what that risk might be. Cause I, I mm. made myself a note here and I said, um, I think you asked me a question about, you know, what were, what was this um, specific moment that had, mm. you know, significant impact on shaping me into a leader. And one of them that I think I sent back to you is when I realized that saying yes to everything came with risks. Yeah. Cause I didn't understand. Um, and I, 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 you know, I don't need to own every activity to control it or to be able to influence. And mm. so, you know, as we learn and as we go through these, the advice I would give to people is don't say, just say, yes, I'll do it because you want to be the go-to person. Mm. Say yes to those things that you know you can manage the risk effectively or you can get help to manage that risk. Because one of the things that in doing that, I've learned that I can influence better. And as the years have gone by, I've realised that the ability to influence is so much more effective and powerful and much more impactful 
than formal authority or power that comes with a job. Yes. And what I mean by that also is that when we come into a room as a leader, right, if you're a reasonable leader, even mm. if you're not such a good leader, people will behave in a particular way, right? So they'll behave hopefully respectfully, professionally, that type of stuff. But if you're not influencing them, as soon as you leave that room, they've gone back to whatever they do when you're not around. <laughs> but if you've influenced someone, it doesn't matter if you're in the room or not because they know that that's the behaviour expected or that's the way we work here. Um, and so I think, you know, managing that, what risk shall I take on? How do I manage that risk? How do I then make us better at what we do? Therefore, you earn respect rather than demanding it. Mm. And when you earn respect, you actually can influence and so that would be the most powerful lesson and advice that I would give anyone, no matter what genre they're in, what arena you're going into. And then the last part of your question was, would I give anyone advice of where to look? I yeah. think look at your skill base and work out where it's transferable. I've gone from, you know, I'm not sure I count tax, but anyway, I've gone from tax <laughs> to health to education to transport. And now I've come back to education <laughs> but I'm using commercial experience, educational experience uh, and, and the international arena that, you know, I so much enjoyed in, in my previous career line. Yeah. So you think about that. Don't think about, you know, oh, I'm an analyst. Well, wow, you could be in banking, you could be in health, you can be in um, city design, you can be in transport design. There's just so much. Don't um, corral yourself. I think that's more my advice than where you should go and look. Yeah, I love that. I agree with that. I think um, look at what's transferable. And the other thing I love to encourage people in, and it's partly something I, I look back on my, uh, you know, I look back at different opportunities I've had. And I think if I was going to do one thing differently at, at, at different points, it's uh, I always encourage people to go and find, look for organizations and particularly leaders that you you hear firsthand you know you hear information from people who are near them or know them or have worked for them that they're exceptional leaders in how they lead people mm -hmm. in how they do things like strategy and see if you can I, I you know I, I look back and I think gee I could have very easily just just reached out and asked for a coffee mm -hmm. with a bunch of different people and sat over coffee and I think a lot of people underestimate the power of sitting across from someone saying, I've heard about how you lead and the values of your organization. And to be honest, I would just really love to see if there are any opportunities to come and, and, and be part of the organization. And I, I think, I think it's so, it's such a significant idea because I just don't know how many people do that. And I think mm. if you're a leader and someone takes the time and invests the energy to go and, and, and actually ask. And sometimes I'm not saying that you'll be able to ask one and get one, but I think a lot of people that ask, uh, knock on 10 doors and there's a really mm -hmm. good chance a couple of them will, will meet with you. And True. I think there's, there's a good chance that if they don't have something, then having a young, particularly a young leader on your radar who's hungry to learn and says, let me do anything, sort of like you said, uh, you know, starting from lo looking back in, in your journey, starting from, like you said, the, the bottom, I think, today we we can be a bit eager to jump into a senior role and when 
just being in a great organization with a great leader in any role and actually finding our feet and getting experience can yeah. be invaluable. So that's something I, I, uh, I often recommend to people as well. Uh, look, and, and I think that's really great advice, Jono, um, in the sense that it is interesting as, as you, you know, get into the third chapter of, of your life and you look back and you sort of think about the people that you've come across. Um, and I remember one of my chairs said to me, uh, I'd had a really challenging time and um, my, my board was saying I was doing a fantastic job. Uh, the group that we were working in subcontracting, I'm being very careful here because I don't want to name or, or put a finger at where it was. Yeah. I respected the process and stepped back for a little while because I felt that there could have been a perceived conflict of interest at a particular negotiation level, which there yeah. wasn't, but I was absolutely cautious. Because of that, I was left out of a conversation that was absolutely critical and affected us quite substantially. We were able to, you know, claw back from it, but it was a really difficult time. Mm. And I remember sitting down with my chair and, and just saying, you know, I don't understand this. I was respectful. Um, I didn't want to create a perceived conflict of interest. And she said, you know what, Vivian, there's a saying. And if you've watched, um, I think it's Dirty Dancing, and there's <laughs> an expression in there that says... Um, you know, don't, don't keep, nothing will keep baby away from the table, something like that. And I thought, wow, reflected upon it, even though I didn't sort of really relate to the, I've seen the movie, but I didn't really relate to the saying. I understood what she was saying. She said, you know, she was saying, never step away from that table. Always ask the question first before you decide. And I think that's what you're saying is when these people go, oh, no, I can't possibly reach out to the CEO. Jeez. Well, you know, CEO is not going to give their time easily. So if they say yes, grab it and, and, and just make sure you know what you want to talk about. Make sure yes. you have some really good open questions, right? There's nothing worse than, you know, saying, so do you enjoy being a CEO? Uh, yeah, I think so because I'm here. <laughs> but <laughs> what is it that you enjoy being a CEO and what do you find challenging you won't mm. shut them up, you know, <laughs> prepared to take some notes. Um, so I think that's, yeah, ask, you know, if, if your listeners are out there, I like your analogy of, you know, ring 10, you might get two. And, yeah. and I think that is so true. I try to, often I have to say no, because I'm just so busy, but I do take a, a couple of calls every now and then. Um, I do have coffee when we're allowed to. Yeah. And you know what? We get as much as they get out of it. Honestly, you feel you can reflect, yeah. uh, you can share a story here and there, and you can walk away going, hmm, I think I played forward a little bit. Excellent. Okay, what's next? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, for me, and that's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast, is it's, yes, I, I believe it can really invest in, in the listeners, but I also know from experience and also have learned from, from dealing with and working with great leaders that the opportunity to give advice when someone asks, particularly when someone asks thoughtful questions and invests some yeah. time in it mm -hmm. is a very rich experience. And yes. we often forget that and think, Oh, if I'm mm -hmm. asking someone to sit down with me, and like you said there, I love how you mentioned that. Don't, don't come in and say, don't come in. And, and the worst thing you could do is if you had that opportunity was talk about yourself yeah. <laughs> and, yep. uh, or ask sort of um, naff questions like, so you, mm -hmm. are you enjoying your job? But have some thoughtful questions in there. And I love that. Like, what? so what do you find challenging about being a CEO? Mm, and you're right. Mm. Any CEO will go, oh, well, 
<laughs> How long have you got? <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's that's great advice. Mm. Uh, I oh, by the way, I just quickly uh, looked up the quote: ba- uh, "Nobody puts baby in the corner." Ah, uh, okay. Is that thank the one? You. Yeah, that's so the, the one. Yeah, the idea so, of not. So, not listeners, don't allow yourself. Violence. Yeah, don't allow yourself to be put in the corner at, ever, ever. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Brilliant. And. Um, I guess at, before we wrap up, I because uh, I mentioned um, before we started, uh, I had a feeling, Vivian, that it would be great to invite you back for a second episode. Oh. And I think, um, to be honest, I think I've gotten mm-hmm. into even less of the questions than I thought I would because there are just so many. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I, one thing that, and I don't know if I even <laughs> put this in the questions I sent you, mm-hmm. I've sort of gone a little bit off uh, off script from some of the mm-hmm. things that, but it's, it's because your story is just so... Um, uh, captivating and 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 it's really I know listeners will love it so much because I'm uh, I'm sort of enjoying it so much myself and I'm sort of the first listener to the story. But um, are there any other mentors, any other people that you've come across in your career who you've just admired their leadership or how they led in a particular mm. situation? Uh, you know, you've just done so many interesting roles with so many different stakeholders. I thought you might have a um, an interesting person or two in mind where you really just loved watching how they led in a situation mm. or how they led a company. Wow. Okay. So, so again, I'm not going to answer as you will probably expect me to. Um, in my career for, for many, many years, I would watch people and they were mentors and coaches, not even knowing that they were because I was looking at what they were doing and I swore I would never act the way that they'd been acting. <laughs> Yeah. So I had a, a number of people that I worked with and, and, you know, transport can be a pretty rough and, and ready. Now it, it's mm. come a long way. I want to make that really clear. They have worked on their, their, you know, um, accessibility, their gender requirements, but, but it is, a, it was, and I don't know if it continues to be a really blokey environment. Sure. And, and so I would watch some people and I go, Oh my gosh, that is just, you know, I sat in rooms where people would throw pens at each other or swear terribly, which was just not acceptable, but they used to do it. Mm. Uh, and so I learnt that. I, I learnt what not to do and swore that I would never, if I, you know, climbed the ladder and became a leader formally, I would treat people with respect and I would value what they bring to the table. Now, I, mm. you know, you'll have to talk to people that have worked for me, but I do <laughs> believe that 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 you know, I am achieving that most of the time. Um, and so that's been, you know, quite a learning. And again, I think that's about investing in yourself rather than seeking out a, a mentor or a coach. However, I came across um, a person, um, bless his soul, he, he's passed away now. And I'm going to name him because I know I won't offend anyone, but mm. Barry Garnham. And he was a man that uh, one day I said to him, you know, I, and he was in railways. Yeah. And I said, you know, you're so supportive of women. I just, you know, he said, well, one, you're a talented woman. So I took that as a great compliment. And <laughs> yeah. he said, secondly, have you met my wife and my, and my sister? And I said, well, of course not, Barry. And he said, well, wait until you meet them. He said, I could not, I could not um, work with uh, weak women. I want women that have a voice. I want them mm. to be intelligent and put that intellect on the table and I will support you in anything that you would like to do if I can. Now, wow. he was probably the first man that actually voiced 
that type of support. Yeah. Now, I am still in contact with his wife and, oh, boy, she's strong. She's a Texan. She's tiny, but she's big. And, <laughs> and an intelligent woman that yeah. was just so supportive of myself. Um, uh, look, you know, I'll be remiss if I don't talk about my husband. Um, honestly, he has been my biggest fan, my mm. biggest critic. He has, <laughs> you know, given up his career when I went to uh, North America to follow wow. me for my dream. Mm. Uh, and, and never once did he complain. Wow. What he does do is he would say, Vivian, I think your feet are a bit off the ground at the moment. And there was a perfect <laughs> example many years ago, and I don't think he'd mind me um, sharing this. So, I, I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying because he's been a great coach and mentor as well, yeah. as well as a, a lifelong partner. Um, I remember one day uh, the phone was ringing at home, you know, for those people that remember landlines. <laughs> yeah, um, right. And I walked past the phone. I don't know what got into me. And I looked at him and I said, can you get that? And he turned around and he said, I am not your bip bip secretary. And I thought, oh, oh, okay, I've got a little big for my boots. So I think in the sense of, you know, naming Barry, I would name him even if he hasn't, hadn't passed away. Um, yeah. He was very much that, wow, guys can actually support women. And, and that was the first time that I'd heard it articulated. Right? Mm. And, and he lived by that. He was fantastic. And then, you know, I have a husband that often um, we talk about our husbands being supportive and good partners and that. Mm. But as I said, he's my biggest fan and my biggest critic. And, and he is the one that keeps me grounded. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we talk things through. Sometimes I take his advice and sometimes I don't. And sometimes I wish I did. And sometimes <laughs> I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, you know, I, I can't really name anyone. Um, I haven't been lucky. I haven't had a lot of mentors or coaches. Yeah. Um, I've, I've had to take those risks, dump, you know, invest in myself a great deal. What I would say to your listeners, though, is I do believe things have changed and the value of a coach and a mentor is seen and it is yes. invested upon. So if you get the opportunity, I would say absolutely grab it go for it and, and milk that relationship as much as you can because that's what it's about. It's not mm. about, oh, I can't ask or what have you. If you've been given a coach or the offer of a mentor, it's because they see something in you and yeah. they want to help. So that, that's the way that I would answer your question, Jono. That's such a wonderful answer. I have a few things I just want to um, point out from what you said that's so yeah. rich. The first thing mm -hmm. is... Um, what I think it's great encouragement about getting a mentor. Um, and the second thing is uh, I love how your when you mentioned Barry in your story and what Barry said to you so mm. prominently was Barry's uh, wife and Barry's sister. Yeah. And I, and then in your story, you talked about your, you know, you talked about your husband and how, how much um, of a support he's been, your biggest fan and your biggest critic. I love that. Um, <laughs> I think, and I think that just says to me, and, and I would encourage people about, um, obviously we're talking about family there, but the people you have around you in your close mm. circles, I, I love how formative that must've been for Barry to have these strong women um, that really impacted him and, and obviously played a part in him being such an incredible leader, which would have been very countercultural for him to be mm. uh, speaking up so much then. Uh, and the other thing, though, I, I got from that answer, Vivian, which I loved, is 
those listeners who might be going through a really tough time, maybe you've got a leader that you're leading up to and you're really struggling. In those moments, it's very hard and it's very can be very, very discouraging. Mm. But I love that your reflection across your whole career started with, well, there's a lot of times where I saw what not to do. And uh, as much as we say that, you know, sort of glibly, you know, here or there, it's so true that if you're in one of those really challenging situations, um, and I've struggled to have this perspective in the past when I've, when I've been in a, you know, where I felt like I was struggling, but you probably are going through one of the more formative seasons um, and helpful. It doesn't feel that way, but I think that can be an encouragement that when you are in a challenging situation or, or leading up to someone where you're really struggling, is uh, one of the things, one of the reasons to persevere and to turn up tomorrow and keep going, you know, in that role is that it's likely you will learn so, so much from that experience around what you said, what not to do. And, oh, um, and, it, and it can shape, uh, it can honestly shape great, great leadership down the track that you'll look back and go, well, I really, the, the seed for that, that I'm so passionate about started there in that really mm-hmm. hard season. Could I add one more thing to that? Because as you were speaking, I was reflecting on Barry. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. Um, this, this was a really telling point and I went home to my husband and I told him this. One of the things that really impressed me with um, Barry when I was working with him, uh, he was always calm. Like even in the worst <laughs> of times, you know, I'd go to his office and I'd close the door and I'd rent and rave. Like he, he, he was a great sounding board yeah. and he'd say to me, do you want me to do anything? And I go, no, no, no. I just, I just want you to hear. And he'd, he'd guide me with, you know, the, the little gems that he had. Anyway, years had passed and, and Barry had passed on, you know, and um, there was a crisis at work and I was the calm one, like really <laughs> calm, all together, listening to everybody, you know, you know, getting them all lined up where I needed to. And I don't even know how I did it at the time. And yeah. I went back to my husband and I said to him, oh, my gosh, I was Barry. <laughs> I actually did a Barry today. <laughs> and I think that's one of the, the things that uh, – as a leader, and, and I'll, I'll finish with this, is that you want your leader to have absolutely a sense of urgency when needed, but mm. you want them to be calm. Yeah. If your leader is running around stressed, can't form their ideas, can't articulate where we need to go during a crisis, just imagine how that is exacerbated as each of your direct reports and their direct reports react to it. Mm. And so we have a lot of pressure on us as leaders to ensure that we are the calm head, that we know where to take the organisation. And even though inside, oh, my gosh, your your stomach's doing backflips and (laughs) and you've got a headache and and, and, you're sort of thinking, oh, I just want to get under my desk in the fetal position. Yeah. Um, I think that's what I learned from Barry. And I, I do often wow. go to my husband. Oh, I was Barry today. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's a wonderful legacy. And uh, mm. I think that'll stick with me. Uh, that's a beautiful story. Uh, did you have any, any final thoughts for listeners as we wrap up yeah. today? Oh, look, it's been an absolute joy, John. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to reflect and share. Um, I, I am a storyteller and sometimes I've got to pull myself back because I, I, that's how I, you know, give information. Um, but in doing so, hopefully you've been able to feel some of the passion and drive 
Um, I am so pleased to have the opportunity to help your listeners think about uh, leadership. And we're not perfect as leaders, uh, but if we keep striving to be better and better, then the people that, you know, hopefully when I look back, there are followers uh, <laughs> and they want to follow. And I think that really is leadership, that there are people that are happy to follow. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think um, I just want to say a big thank you to our to our listeners for, for tuning in. And uh, don't forget, we also have a couple of other podcasts at Clarity. We have the John O'White Leadership Podcast, where I just give you a bunch of content. The last one I did was uh, the seven rules of, uh, of investing in great leaders. And uh, so you can check that out. And there's also the leadership question of the day, where I ask a different question every day to put a stone in your shoe, so to speak and help you to be un uncomfortable and, and grow in your leadership. Uh, but most of all, I just want to say a big thank you and, uh, and affirm your stories. Your storytelling has been a joy. And I know, uh, I just know listeners will have gotten so, so much out of this. So thank you, uh, Vivian King. It's been an absolute pleasure um, hearing some of your stories and chatting with you. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57 page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage consultclarity.org right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders. And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I, I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review 
and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, Jono White or Clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.